0: This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. CanDo is navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com.
1: Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, a spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and James Heal. So Rishi Sunak will tonight host Tory MPs in the Downing Street Garden for a slightly belated coronation party, just as the coronation initially helped him uh, in terms of moving the news agenda on local election results, Rishi Sunak will be hoping uh, the celebration also eases some of the sorrow amongst his back at the moment. And James, to begin, you are fresh out of Bournemouth. You were at the Conservative Democratic Organization inaugural conference on Saturday, also called CDO, as it's now known. Talk us through uh, what was initially an an event which I think was seen as potentially the early beginnings of a Boris Johnson restoration. It's an organization that formed after Boris Johnson was ousted, even though it says it's not specifically a bring back boris organisation what was the mood like and how seriously should we take it yeah so i thought
0: there was a fair amount of recrimination in the air uh, obviously a lot of people there partly was chosen as a venue because Bournemouth was one of those great seaside areas where the tories enjoyed a lot of their conferences in the 80s and 90s um so it's partly sort of you know sort of jolliness about sort of the gaiety about going on the seaside but also there was a kind of sense of discontent at the time with the direction of the Conservative Party. Um, and really, there was a couple of tensions, I think, in the CDO, one of which was made clear from the chairman's speech, David Bannerman, uh, in the opening minutes, which was that, on the one hand, they're for democracy, they're not really a manifesto, they're not, they're not really a mem- Tory momentum, as some like to claim, because they're not actually campaigning for specific policies. However, the theme throughout very much the day was proper conservatism um, and really the sense of perhaps... Grumpiness with the sort of 13 years in government and a sense of discontent with the Conservative record, and actually, you know, one one speaker, the Alex Story of the CDO, stood up and said, uh, you know, we haven't had proper. We've been ruled by Labour for the past 26 years. So it's, it was billed previously as a bring back Boris event, but really, I think you know, Thatcher got mentioned as much as Boris Johnson, and. there was a sense that even Boris Johnson was no better than the previous people who came before him and after him. So it was really trying to work out what its aims were. And I think it's interesting in terms of the energy of the organisation, in terms of that sense of discontent among membership. But I'm not sure it really is yet going to be the force that some of its backers would like it to be.
1: And attendees-wise, they did suggest there might be 750 attending. What was it more like? I think
0: 250 to 300.
1: And just finally, James, uh, because you did spend a whole 24 hours, I said we're going (laughs) to squeeze you dry for information – Although clearly lots of people are saying the past, you know, decade or so of Tory rule has not been particularly conservative, Boris Johnson did win one poll.
0: Yes, he did. Uh, GB News helpfully set up one of these ball polls where you can put a sort of rubber ball in either Rishi Sunak or Boris Johnson, and uh, Boris won that one by a landslide. Uh, not the toughest election he's ever had to fight, as one lady said to me. Um, and initially, initially actually took a while for the first ball to go in for sunak there was one ball in there he people, got one he got one well i'll tell you why because the pa photographer asked me to put a ball in to uh, take, a, take a photo of someone putting a ball you in backed sunak. i was well, i put one in the first one okay, i that was is the only a, ball that for, is the a first, revelation. for the okay. first 20 minutes or so
1: maybe that's a spectator endorsement which we didn't <laughs> do during the tory leadership contest either time last year now isabel on to the next big conference today it's the beginning of the national conservatism conference with lots of different mp speakers but the one that is think is um, really set the cat among the pigeons is from the Home Secretary. Can you tell us more?
2: Yes, yeah, Suella Braverman is speaking to this conference and uh, she is saying that she wants to bring immigration down and that uh, Brits need to uh, train as lorry drivers, fruit pickers um, and so on uh, so that labour shortages in this country can be solved by Uh, the Brits who are out of work, uh, rather than importing labour. And there's lots of interesting things about this. Um, One is obviously, um, God, she'll be shocked when she finds out who's been in charge for the past 13 years, which is obviously the attack line from uh, the Conservatives' opponents. Um, But also just the power base that the Home Secretary still has um, in government. And, uh, you know, even though, as as James was explaining, that this um, the conference over the weekend showed that uh, the sort of the the Boris E.R.G. tendency in the party is is not as fearsome as as it might have been, there is still a big block of power around Suella Braverman, um, which was obviously shown by the fact that she got the job as Home Secretary in the first place, um, and and now that she feels she can really challenge the Prime Minister on um, her own policy area rather than just praising what he's doing to set out basically what she wants to be doing herself. I guess also this, her kind of defining Brexit as being something that, you know, obviously was something that allowed Britain to take back control, that uh, she's going to say that is uh, that Britain can be a, an economy that is less dependent on low skilled foreign labour it brings the the brexit debate back onto to immigration rather than the debates we've been having over the past few weeks um about sort of parliamentary sovereignty or um the government's sovereignty which is is more the case with the eu uh, retained law bill but also i think shows that there is still a real appetite at least within the conservative party to do what David Cameron pledged what Theresa May pledged what Boris Johnson at uh, times sort of nodded towards but was always much more uncomfortable about uh, which was to try to drive net migration down and and Braverman has has still been sticking to uh, the uh, the sort of tens of thousands pledge that David Cameron um repeatedly realized but refused to acknowledge is it very very difficult if not impossible for even a conservative government to meet um if it wants to solve certain um shortage sectors uh, she's arguing that britain can do that but it's not entirely clear without a, a real emphasis on skills which governments over the past few decades have talked to uh, well not even a good game on have, have have given have paid very thin lip service to when it comes to skills um without a proper emphasis on this it's not entirely clear how that's how her dream of a of upskilling lots of British workers is, is, is actually going to be realised other than just saying you should be, you know, driving lorries. Well, you know, great.
1: And of course, James, uh, the Tory manifesto is committed to overall migration numbers coming down. So Suvada so Brahman isn't going against the Tory policy, and in a way she's reiterating it, but the reason it's a bit controversial is you have an internal cabinet debate where figures such as Julian Keegan, the Education Secretary, have gone back and forth with the Home Office and some of the plans to tighten student visas... We know from Jeremy Hunt's budget from the OBR report how much uh, immigration is boosting the economy. It seems pretty reliant on it. So the government's pretty worried, isn't they, about a figure coming out next week?
0: Yes, they're worried about reports that there could be up to a million uh, migrants coming here in a year, which I think would pre- really show perhaps the failure of the government's post-Brexit system. It's obviously promised a points-based system. I think you know every government has these challenges and tensions between different departments, particularly between you know the Treasury and other sort of departmental elements as well. But it does really show that you know I think the theme of these comp- these two conferences when we're discussing them together is the sense of. The Conservative movement, particularly the right of the party, is a bit disjointed as to the future direction. You know, seen this morning, um, there's been tensions on... It already. Some some of the speakers at the NatCom were cheering, you know, protectionism versus free trade. There's also migration. We saw that tension in the List Trust government. Liz Trust was seen as some kind of... was seen as more to the, to the right of Boris Johnson. And yet, there's this key clash between... At number Ten and the Home Office on her watch under migration figures. Now, obviously, Rishi next come in has made the OBR central to his strategy, and the question is, is the kind of tensions between the kind of fiscal conservatives and those who are very immigration sceptic, shall we say?
1: Now, on to Labour. Over the weekend we had a speech from Keir Starmer at the Progressive Britain Conference in which he talked about how Labour is the party of country before party. We know that Labour uh, want to say they'll be different in terms of the infighting of the Tory party though the jury will be out. It's about we're beginning to get more of a sense in terms of Labour policies and there was an interesting report um, in the Financial Times about what Labour would do in terms of the workforce strengthening Labour rights and this includes includes a potential right to disconnect um, which could mean farewell to out of off hours emails texts whatsapp messages um, what do you make of this
2: yeah so it was it was an interesting speech um partly because uh starmer tried to get headlines by saying that his government would be a clause for on steroids um which For those who are not as obsessive students of uh, Tony Blair as Keir Starmer is, is obviously a reference uh, to the abolition of Clause 4 by Tony Blair as part of the new Labour Project and Clause 4 being part of the Labour Party's constitution about uh, bringing um, industries back into public ownership. And so he's basically trying to say, as part of his current phase of uh, leadership campaigning, that Labour would be a really big reforming government. I'm not sure we've seen enough evidence in individual policy areas to, to back that up yet, but it's um, it, I suppose it's still early days before an election and there were big reforms that Tony Blair didn't have a clue about uh, when he was at this stage of the electoral cycle. And in, indeed, there were sectors that Tony Blair didn't have a clue about. So perhaps, perhaps we're expecting too much for, for, from Keir Starmer. But uh, one of the proposals that he's considering is this right to disconnect so that bosses can't bother their staff or at least expect their staff to uh, be bothered to the extent that they would reply to uh, messages that they send out of working hours over the weekend and so on which um talking to quite a few people who um are in the Labour Party world or the trade union world um has caused some wry amusement um, amongst those who spend quite a lot of time replying to their politician and trade union uh, colleagues at 2am. And uh, they wonder whether there's going to be a sort of special exemption, a bit like the exemptions from the working time directive um, that the EU had for certain industries. But it's interesting. And I think to, to sort of dismiss it, ignores one of the shifts that we've seen generationally in working patterns and workplace expectations over the past few years uh, that predates the pandemic but has, has definitely been influenced by the pandemic where you do get workers now who expect certain things from their bosses in a way that you know many of us who entered the workplace you know 10-15 years ago didn't think was our right and the idea that you shouldn't be expected to reply to an email late at night Um, has really come in with people who are digital natives who have grown up and have probably a a better idea than we give them credit for of, of how to use technology and of how intrusive it can be so a lot of younger workers just don't expect to be bothered at weekends and uh, so you can see why Keir Starmer might be tapping into, in, into that shift in the workplace already. It's not actually particularly revolutionary um, to be proposing what a lot of, of bosses are already having to confront.
1: Yeah, of course, other countries have tried it. Um, James, just finally, I think it's interesting in a sense, Rachel Reeves has been so big on her business charm offensive, smoked salmon, scrambled egg circuit, um, really getting Labour and audience to the point that you think about the 2015 general election, warning against Ed Miliband for those businesses saying it is too risky to change. It's hard to see it now. But one of the things you hear when you speak to these business leaders who've been meeting with Rachel Reeves in the past year or so is, it's great, you can get a meeting easily. She's very Reassuring, She understands what she's talking about. But there's not yet the policies. So it's probably policies like this that will really decide how open the business community is, or positive, I suppose, it is about a Labour government.
0: Yes, quite. And I think it's really interesting in terms of this is something the trade unions have been talking about. And so I think perhaps when we think of the trade unions, we've quite a 1980s attitude of it, and we think of Starmer's approach to things on pickets, etc., and protests and front benches, approach on that, actually what we're seeing perhaps is not... Uh, is not a kind of, you know, giving the trade unions, repealing some of those kind of Thatcher era, those major era ballot restrictions, things that have happened since uh, 2015 with the Cameron government's uh, restrictions on them. But actually, I think adding additional rights in terms of not so much the unions themselves, but in terms of their workers. So I think it'll be interesting. It's obviously a post-pandemic shift. It's something that has come up much more in the kind of, uh, you know, in the business world, perhaps in the political world. So I think it's an interesting sh- sign of how the, the unions can exert you know, power and influence behind the scenes in Starmer's party, um, while obviously trying to present a reassuring face to the business community, as Rachel Reeves is trying to do.
1: Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening.